understood the email that I was sent, so it's easier to <laughs> join your ships <laughs> from now on. So sorry that you guys had to wait so long. Oh, the, there's a team that were going to lead worship, but they didn't end up doing it. Welcome to Outreach. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that happens when you think you're going to do something and you turn up and then they're like, actually, no. And then you needed the experience here. <laughs> no, um, yeah, so we apologize for that. It happens. So what about Terry Terry? Amazing. She's so good. It's going to blow you away. So what I want us to do right now, just before Terry comes up, um, is let's all stand up and let's put our hands on our hearts. We have two weeks left of this school that we just want to finish well. We want to finish it well. And um, just let's tell ourselves, tell our spirits, tell our souls to rise up and to get everything that we can out of this week and out of next week and to go for it, okay? So Korean style, as loud as you can, just tell your spirit, tell your soul, like, we're going to do this and, and invite the Lord to do, and to do what He wants. You know, we don't want to leave this place without God having done all that He has intended for us, okay? So we want to be open to that. So let's do that together. One, two, three, go. I think we can do better than that. I think we can ask. We can really go for it. We are not going to leave this place without God having done his work in our lives, okay? We will not do it. We will not come out of here. We, we, we want the best. We want God's best for us, okay? So we're going to contend for that this morning. And we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and into this place. So we're going to do that today, okay? We can do better than we just did, okay? Let's do it.
Yes, Father, we give you permission to work in our lives this week and next week. God, we give you permission, Lord, to squeeze every single drop that you want out of us, Lord God. And Father, we want to squeeze every single drop from you, God, from this place, from the speakers, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would um, make us awake, attentive, Lord, to your will to have your way, Lord God. We ask, God, that no part would be hidden, Father, that you would awaken every single thing that you want to awaken in our lives, God. Give us everything that you want to give to us, God. Father, let us not hold back. We will not hold back from what, from receiving from you, God. We spent a lot of money to come here, God. So we are asking, Lord, for everything that you've intended. And we just bless you, Lord. And we say thank you. Thank you for what we had already. And thank you for what you're, you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, that there is more. Thank you that there is more. And we say, thank you, Daddy, more, please. Father, we full, we feel full, God, but we want more. We want to be overflowing so that we can go out into the nations. We, we can go out to our home church, Lord God, and to overflow you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you will have what, and you will do what you started. You will finish what you started. So we believe that, Lord God. We say in faith, God, that you will finish what you started. So I bless you, Lord, and we say yes and amen. And we agree with you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job. Terry, would you like to come up? Mia, would you like to pray for Terry, please? Little Midi Mia. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for this woman who has dedicated her life to speak truth and to study your word, Lord God. I pray that we can catch so much of her passion, God, so we can carry that and drive it into study into deep wells of knowledge of searching after you lord god i just pray that we can just become more and more like jesus by the end of this week in your name amen amen thank you am i done already okay um review time whenever you have whenever you're teaching you all lot of let me start again everyone here because you want to be a skilled musician oh i need this don't i hello um Everyone here will probably, if you say, God, use me, he's going to use you to disciple and to teach. You might as well know that, straight up. You're not an, a life unto your own, and therefore, when you are teaching messages, a lot of people think you preach your message, and that's it. Well, that's a nice thing, and it can be inspirational, but teachers have a desire to be sure that that information remains someplace in your brain. So every time you're teaching at a school, and some of you will, Always review whatever you said the day before, and at the end of the class, then review it again, because we're all not very smart. I have a saying that I say at my school, repetition is our friend. Every time we do it, like for piano players, oh, I, he doesn't want me to go that way, all right? Uh, for piano players, you know, we go, oh, I already know my, I know my scales. Oh, wow, is that loud, okay. of memory it helps us to remain the whole point of education and study for the hebrews was that people would not just retain it mentally but begin to behave it you only behave it you can only behave it when you know it 
crazy. It becomes second nature to you. So yesterday we had several things. I want to review it, and it might be the same words. I'm going to put some words up here with some kind of a marking device, which I can't find. Um, under the TV. Ah, thank you. All right. So I'm going to put up uh, several words here. I want you to tell me uh, definition. Hebrew. Hebrew definition. What is it? Anybody? Come on, hand up. This is school. What is that? You can cheat and look at your notes. That's good. Look, everyone's going to flip, flip. That's okay. I don't care how many times we have to say it. Yes, sir. Or you're just waving. Oh, going like this. Oh, God, help me. All right. <laughs> Anybody? Yet? Come on. What is it? What is it, Bo? Pardon me? Is study. Yeah. And I heard somebody else it, it, is to study. This is a Hebraic understanding of worship. Then somebody else said another part of it, which is what? Tell me. To go low. To go low. Uh-huh. So these two really do combine, in a sense. To study means that I'm going to change my mind. Do you know in, what is it, in Romans? And he says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I perceive that you would allow your brain or your mind to be changed. He's talking to Gentiles who have not studied the Bible. The Jewish people grew up their whole life studying the Bible. So their idea of worship, for Jesus, when you said worship, he thought of the word. Digging into the word. Now, I just talked to my friend here, the percussionist. He says, you know, I already have music. I want to know the Bible. Yeah. That's a great, que that's a great quest. But when you want to know that, you also want to know what Jesus knew. That was the big thing that took me on this journey. I said, I know what, you know, what, what uh, pastors say. I had a good look at what pastors say. I had a good look at the church, but I didn't have a very good look at, about the wrong, not the wrong, I have the wrong book up there. I had, didn't have a very good look at what Jesus, I said to, I have a little rabbi friend. I said, okay, rabbi. He's a messianic rabbi. Jewish guy from New York. He's real prickly and kind of cranky. Have you ever met anybody from New York that's kind of cranky? That's him, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got a little, he's a little itty-bitty guy, and he doesn't smile much, but he's brilliant, and he knows the word like crazy. So I said, hey, I can put up with your crankiness. You're a beaver. So I will, when I talk to you, I'll be small. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Okay, so the word worship. What's another word? Uh, let's see. What's the Hebrew word for love? Okay, what does it look like? What's the picture of it? You can cheat. What was the picture? Look at it again. The thing. The thing and the thing. Right, okay, good. And then the other thing, right, okay. Yeah, the thing and then the other thing. Okay. What does this first thing represent? What's the sound this makes? Everybody do that. It's actually pronounced in Hebrew. They say now it's the sound of air rushing into you like, look or be aware of. And what is this a picture of? Come on. The tent. Good. What's in the tent? Pardon me? The household. Very good, Alicia. So I got behold or take care of the household. Household uh, and behold, or look for, or look out for, care for, la la la. Okay, we also talked about, we also talked about that worship is study, and today I want to show you that Jesus was a theologian. Well, let me scare you. He was a Pharisee. Look at that! A big Paul came into the room. Because when we say Pharisee as New Testament Christians, we immediately put a bad mark on it. Oh, you're a Pharisee. But in the, in the culture that Jesus lived in, 
anyone that wanted to study had to go through pharisaical training. So Pharisees, as a rule, were not bad, just like, as a rule, Christians are not bad, but there are groups of them that are snotty. Yes? So when somebody says to you, you're a Pharisee, say, thank you. That means I've studied the word. Now let me tell you how people selected their disciples. So discipleship, discipleship is also a part of being a skilled musician. Do you remember me saying that? What was a skilled musician? What? One who is what? Useful to what? God's purposes. Now you're beginning to learn that, and I'm going to beat it into you so that when you leave here in two weeks, at least you'll remember four or five things. That's my goal. You're not going to remember everything I say. I don't remember everything I say. So discipleship then becomes an act of love and worship when I pour my life into somebody else. So the Jews understood this. Let me show you, uh, where's my eraser? There it is. Let me show you what <clears throat> the typical standard deal was for a, someone who was uh, a Jewish little boy or little girl. Okay. So a Jewish little boy or little girl at age from zero to about five, they ha- hung out with their moms and dads, and their moms and dads' job, job, culture, was to teach them. Like you and I, we have a mom and dad, and they taught us our alphabet. And maybe one of the first songs that you sang was, Itsy Bitsy Spider Went Up. We teach all those funny songs. They didn't do that in the Jewish thing. They taught them scripture from birth. Okay, get ready to write, because I'm going to put all these things on the board here. It's a little list. This is how, let me find my page, boys and girls. This is how, okay, hold on. Tell the story. Da, 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 da. All right, just do this for me. Whistle while I find it. in my other notebook stop whistling okay <laughs> sorry so my other no- I'll bring it I'll bring it okay I sort of kind of know it but I won't do it perfectly all right aged um, so a, a young kid from zero to age five basically gets their training from their mom and their dad at home this is the reference that uh, Paul makes to Timothy says don't forget don't let go of what you learned at your mama's knee when he's talking about those things so then around that time, they get to be kind of school age. And school age means they begin, I'll, t- I'll give you all this tomorrow, the exact words. Is that all right? Since I have it in my other notebook, like a dingle fritz. All right. Anyway, school age, they begin to go to bet. Bet is the Hebrew word for house of Torah, bet of Torah. In other words, they go to, the sc- they go to school not to learn math, these are, this is little kids now. They don't learn math, they learn Torah. And at that school then, one of the ways that, uh, one of the ways that teachers made school interesting was, and you'll understand this when I tell you, is that when the little children would come into the classroom, the teachers would be standing by the door with a pot of honey. 
and the children had a little, um, like a little slate on which to write. They didn't have chalk or anything. And what would happen is these little kids would come in, and the, the rabbi, or not the rabbi, but the teacher would slather on their slate this honey. And they'd come over, and everybody would sit down, you know. Good morning, good morning, ha la la. And then he'd say, we're going to study our alphabet today, students. They'd say, good. He'd say, now we're going to learn our alphabet, and the first letter is Aleph. So will you draw it for me on your slate? So they'd take their finger, and into the honey they draw Aleph the first letter of the alphabet. And then, of course, after you're drawing two or three of those, what do you do? <laughs> this is what David referred to when he said, your word is sweeter than honey. Oh, wow. <laughs> it says, train up a child in the way they should go. Yes? Okay, now we always interpret that from our Western kind of Greek thinking is like, okay. But train actually means to give them a taste. It means to touch your palate. Take your finger and touch this for uh -huh. That's your palate. And you touch. When you eat, your palate and your tongue bring together all the tastes. So when it says train up a child, it means give them a taste. Which is why the Jewish teachers would do this. They would bring these little kids into a place that they... Physically, it was a tactile learning thing. So they said, oh, yeah. Now, you will notice all through, if you study Jewish history or whatever, they love food. They love food. And, uh, you know, the feasts are examples of God says, hey, come on over to my house. You got to come, la, la, la. And there's a whole study on that. But nonetheless, he says, food is so important. The taste of the lamb it was lamb. On certain occasions, that you cannot have nuts on the dinner table because nuts has the same equivalent uh, in the gematria, which is like when you study the letters and what they mean, one letter is seven points, et cetera, et cetera. The combination of those letters for nuts equals the same combination of the word sin. So they won't let you have nuts on the table. That's just how uh, intricate this all could be. So what happens is these little kids, they go to school and la, la, la. And then at about age 12, they begin to be physically mature. What am I doing? Become, when you become physically mature, when that occurs, then what happens is at age, about age 12 or 13, this is when we see Jesus in the temple. He's gone for a feast. We find him here, and he's learned a lot of this, learned a pile of it. And as he's learned that, he's brilliant, and they're shocked, obviously, because he's one smart little chicken. And when he does this, then, he shows promise. Now, anybody at this age that shows promise is invited into, is invited into being discipled by a big cheese. It would be like Lauren Cunningham saying, okay, I want to personally disciple you. That would be cool. And so... As they mature at age 12 or 13, they get called either into becoming a disciple of some teacher, disciple of a teacher, or they are not so sharp and they are sent back to their home to do a trade. Now, let me pull up a story in your brain. Jesus goes... He was a Pharisee. He had Pharisaical training. The reason I know this is because you could not speak in a synagogue in that culture unless you had Pharisaical training. 
You couldn't just walk in and say, I want to read a scripture like we do in Charismania. You had to have studied the scriptures so that when you, st- when you spoke, you spoke from a place of real understanding of the scriptures rather than just a casual acquaintance with them. Yes? So would that mean that all those songs and stuff that people are like, oh, Jesus was a carpenter are false then? He was. No, that's not false. Okay, first of all, he wasn't a carpenter. He was a mason. He was a mason because archaeologically, archaeologically they didn't have wood to build houses back then. They only had stone, so he was a stonemason probably. He was a builder. But to answer your question, no. They also went through this. They went on, but these guys that went back home, these guys that went back home didn't get any more further training. These guys, uh, the guys that were sharp, got the training from their fathers as well as being discipled in the, in the uh, synagogal area. So they had two things going on there. Because the Jews do not believe that you should just sit around and wait for, you know, God to show up. They believe that you should work, which I like. Yeah. I like that. So as, as Jesus, he, yes, he did go back to do his trade, but at the same time, he also had intense discipline, uh, discipleship training with some rabbis during that time. Now around <laughs> later then we see Jesus, and he's now able to, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in between there, but now we see Jesus, and he is able to disciple because he has been discipled. Now, I'm going to scare you here. You ready? Okay, because we say uh, that we quote that scripture that says, where there are two or three gathered, I am in the midst. Yes? Yes, okay. We view that from um, an ignorant place because it doesn't mean two or three anybody's. It means... Two or three scholars. I don't know. Uh, where two or three are gathered in my, in my name, I'm there. I don't know. I'm terrible with addresses, so I don't know. I don't know where it lives. Where there are two or three more, if you read that in the original language, in the context of the culture, it means that this, where two or three people are gathered that really know the scriptures, I'm there. Yes. Matthew 18, 20. She found it for me. Mm-hmm. Pardon me? No, you're making very... 18, 20. No, he is saying... He is saying that he... Yes, 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 and no, yes. When Jesus first arrived on the scene, you know what they called him? They didn't call him Jesus. They didn't call him Messiah. They said, look, there goes Torah. They didn't call... Well, I'm just saying, as they watched his nature... We think of a name, like I call you Mia, but instead of your name being just a title, it had, a, had to do with your, what you do, your function. So they'd look and they'd say, look, I've heard this guy speak. There goes Torah. That's the living word. That's what, the, that's what we translated it into. He literally lived it out. He lived out Torah. This is why worship to him was not just about musicianship. So if you happen to be a musician who is a worshiper, you got something powerful there. But a musician by itself that does not know the word of God is not as effective and useful to God as it would be otherwise. So what happens here? Jesus has now, he's been uh, released into his ministry, and he's getting some disciples. He's going to go get some folks. And this is going to give you hope. He's going to get some f- people that he's going to call to disciple. Now, when you disciple somebody, they lived with you. 
they went to the grocery store, they went to Target, they went, uh, they saw your Facebook account. I mean, there were no secrets. So a rabbi living with a disciple literally is living with them, and they see him at his best and at his worst. And so when Paul says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, he is saying to Timothy, you are my disciple. So whatever I do, you've seen how I live, then you live that same way. So the connection there becomes, now the reason we know this is because, or the reason this is important is because this makes us love Jesus more and understand who he is. So Jesus comes along, and he's looking for some disciples. Now, when a, a rabbi or a, a, a teacher is a, about to gather a group of people, the normal thing is to get these guys that are sharp. Let's get these ones that are really sharp. But look who he goes after. He goes after a pile of yo-yos. He goes after Matthew, who's like got a real issue He's got some real issues, like he's taxing his own people, that people don't like him. I mean, this is a, not a good dude. This would not be the typical mature person that a normal rabbi would pick. But he picks him. Then my favorite of the stories is where here's, here's Jesus, and he's standing on the shore, and he's, he looks over, and he sees Peter, and he says, and then we all go real mystical about that. Follow me. And it says, immediately uh, Peter dropped his nets and ran into the water, otter, and as he did that, as he did that, people go, oh, it must have been some magical, some anointing from Jesus. Follow me. And so it's like, da, 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 like the walking dead or something, you know. But we picture it that way because we mystify everything. But when Jesus said that to Peter, Peter had spent his whole life with smelly fish. He, didn't, he never had learned as much of the Bible as he wanted to, Mr. Percussion. So when Jesus says to him, follow me, he says, holy, jumped up, I'm out of here, and he runs. And I always wondered, well, why didn't his dad get mad at him? Because he suddenly is proud that his kid has been picked by a rabbi, so he lets him off the hook with fish and says, yeah, go learn that now. That's great. And later, you know, Peter and, and uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't, Peter and not Paul. Um, his brother. Edgar. Andrew. Oh, I think he said Edgar. I went. <laughs> Peter and Edgar. All right. Name two disciples, Peter and Edgar. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I need a new battery for my bell tone. Okay. So here comes Peter and Andrew and... The mom says, hey, since you're a big cheese, why don't you be sure that, like, you give my guys, my boys, a bunch of, you know, a good position. Want them in chair A and chair B, you know, in the front row, like on a worship team. We all know that when you're on the worship team, you sit in the front row of the church. Well, that's Bible. So that people think, oh, well, I'm a worship team, so I'll sit on the front row because I am important. So his mom comes and says, hey, what about these guys? Can they be A and B? Jesus says, eh, you don't know what you're asking, girl, girlfriend. So what happens here is Jesus now has created a group of men around him, disciples, that are pretty rough. They are sailors. Think about that. They are like you guys, a mess. You got all kinds of junk hanging on the back of you. You know, it's like 
one mistake. Oh, thank you, darling. I told this story at the table last night. I'm going to tell it again. Be careful now. Be careful. Don't steal my thunder here. All right. I love spoons. I love little spoons. Now, my friend over here and I understand why I love them. When you get a yogurt carton, there is nothing more annoying than having this big spoon that you have to squeeze the carton to get this. So I love little spoons. I don't want them to, they don't have to say names on them, you know, France, or I don't care about that. I just like little teeny demitasse spoons. Now, I am a Christian, have been since, you know, 1976 is when I got saved. So it's a long time, okay? And I am fighting constantly my desire to steal spoons. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm really not kidding you. I went uh, to Korea. I went to Korea and stayed at this big university. And in the room that they had, they had all these little, you know, the little cups and the little, little itty bitty spoons. I took one. <laughs> now I don't say that like to, I'm not saying that so you guys go and steal stuff. What I'm saying is that this is an issue in me that I have to really guard against. And I'm on the plane, you know, and the Korean Airlines is the best, by the way. It's the best. It's so good. It's so good. And how do those girls, if you've ever been, these girls are immaculate. You get on the plane, and they have this, they're all skinny size too, you know. And their hair, and they got the little sticky things here. Beautiful girls, you know. And you're on the plane for 12, 13 hours, and at the end of the trip, I look like I've been rolled in dirt. And they come up with their... How do they do that? Anyway, so I'm sitting, they bring you dinner, and I have a window seat, and I'm sitting there, and my purse is right there, and there on the tray is a knife and a fork and a cutest spoon. And you know what? This is, these are my thoughts. It's just right there at the edge. It could fall off into my purse, and no one would notice. <laughs> 
I am telling you that this is a wrestle that I go through. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I win. The point is, I'm still heading towards that goal. I'm still going to go there. Jesus, help me. And and he says, yeah, don't do that. This has a lot to do with like a twist inside, a need inside of you that you feel that you have to take something. It's just a bigger issue. I feel like I I need to provide for myself what God can't provide for me. That's just an inner issue. The spoons are just a symptom. So I say that because Jesus had all these fishermen. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen boys that know how to when they can, they can do this again. They just sound with their armpit. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Can anyone in here do that? David, do it. Yes, you can. Oh, no, okay. But you know what I'm talking about, that thing that goes. Yeah, that's sailor behavior. That's sailor behavior. You know, and they're talking there and like nudging. They're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Hey. They, they're, they're body. They're just, and Jesus says, I want them. I want them. Now, that's an amazing thing to me. And it should be a thing that inspires you. Because, and I'll bring this other information tomorrow. We'll go on with this feeling. The point is that Jesus had gone through this and is making disciples of himself. Now I want to talk to you about proof that Jesus was a uh, theologian. All right? Would you please, let's see if I have a scripture for you. Probably not. That would be too much like, oh. Hold on. Who can do it? Let me see it. Let me see it. Please. Please, please, please. Come on, percussionist. Stand up. Okay. Okay. Reach inside. Just reach inside. Okay. That's the sound. It sounds like farting, yes. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. And, all, and why is it men love farting? I don't get that. Hold on. Shh, 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 shh. Question. Here we go. What? Uh huh. Just for boys. That in the culture, they got the same training as the boys through twelve, and then they went back home to be a mom. So they did study. They did study. Mm-hmm. Okay. They did study, but not under a rabbi. A woman could not touch a rabbi. It was considered adultery. Just culture. That's culture. All right. So. Big deal, big deal, big deal. That's why they went, (gasps) big deal, big deal. Okay, now I want to tell you something. If you go to Bible school, you will not necessarily hear a lot of this stuff about the Hebraic backgrounds. Our biblical system is very much 
aimed at New Testament. In fact, when I started Bible school, I remembered that, and I'm going to read you the statement this guy said. He said, the first thing you have to do here at this school to be a good Christian is to kill the Jew inside of you. Now, that comes from, uh, that comes from old kind of school that says that we are the new church, that we are the replacement for Israel. And that's just not so. People say, oh, well, God's done with that other, you know, he's marrying us now. We're the bride of Christ. The problem with that is, let me ask you this. If God wasn't faithful to his first wife, what makes you think he'll be faithful to us? So this, un you have to, as a believer, you have to understand your Savior and his culture. You have to. So this is what that guy said to me. So <clears throat> I want to show you. What, what the word Torah means, all right? I showed you a little bit of it yesterday. Torah came after everybody had seen lots of things. We saw the miracles. We saw miracles. We saw all this stuff. And what happened was we needed now to have more instruction because those guys married the cow. More instruction. So the book of Deuteronomy was given. And I told you this yesterday, but repetition's your friend. Deuteronomy was called the second Torah. It was given to Israel as they're coming out of the wilderness. They've been, they've been living basically by miracles, manna, la, 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 all this stuff. And now God says, you guys messed up so much by at this mountain, when you married me, you married God, and you did that. This is called a ketubah. In Hebrew, when you marry somebody else, it's called a marriage contract. You'll see if you go to a Jewish wedding, they'll have a ketubah, in which the ketubah says things that both men and women, or the man and the woman in this relationship are going to have to do. Okay? Is there any a married couple in here at all? Okay. All right, let me have somebody that's willing to make a fool of themselves, a guy and a girl. Who would do that? There we go. That's a girl. Okay. Where's a guy? That's you, David. Good. Come on. Okay. Right up here. Stand right up here, please. Now, we're going to pretend that they're getting married, okay? They're not. They're not. We're going to pretend. So, in a sense, the male role here. Yeah. No, you don't have to give it. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. I'm no. just going to move it over here. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> the ring, I said this yesterday, was the symbol of them saying, yes, we are married. And the ring, the symbol of keeping the covenant, you're not listening, the, 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 the thing of keeping the covenant for God, he says, this is the, this is the ring I want to give you, is that you keep Sabbath. That's the ring. That's the promise you make. So in a ketubah, these two people, before they're married, write down a list of things that they believe are important in the relationship. What do you want from him? I'm sorry, I'll start with him. What do you want from her as a wife? What things would you want? Well, write them down. Go ahead. Tell me. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Faithfulness? Faithful. Okay, now you don't have to be spiritual. Oh, sweet. Great sandwiches. Sandwiches? Good <laughs> food. Uh huh. 
to stay uh, mm, uh, just to be with me. To be okay. I'm gonna say ki kisses. 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 Okay. Babies. Babies. <laughs> what else? One more. Um, fun. Fun. Okay. Good. This is a good list. Okay. You're marrying him. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you. What do you expect from your husband? Fun. Fun. Good. Uh huh. I'm sorry? Providing. Pro provider, good. Protector. Protector, see these are, uh -huh. you don't have to be specific, uh, protect, protector. Okay, uh-huh, what else? Adoration. Adoration? Whoa. Adoration. <laughs> you want him to treat you like a queen is what you mean. Okay, let's think of some practical things, some practical things. You want him to cook, clean, what? DIY is great. DIY. Oh, okay. One more. Practical. Practical. Um, driving me around. Okay. Driver. <laughs> okay. So if these two were getting married, if these two were getting married in the Jewish culture, even before this, uh, this experience with uh, God at the mountain here, they would have a ketubah like this. They would write down a covenant. And in that covenant, they would say, the girl would say, I will be faithful. I'll make you good sandwiches, give you kisses, babies, and we'll have fun. Okay. And, she, and he would say to her, we'll have fun. I'm going to provide for you, give you enough money. I'll protect you. I'm going to adore you. I think you're terrific. I want you to, I'll be able to do it myself if I need to, and I will be happy to drive you around. So these are the, these are the things that Israel and God agreed to, thank you, in the Ten Commandments. God set up his Ten Commandments. And he said... <clears throat> He said, okay, if you'll agree to that, and we could read them, you know, you know the Ten Commandments basically, have no other gods before me. That means don't go looking at uh, the sexiest man alive on the people cover. <laughs> okay? Uh, honor your mom and dad. How does that fit into his behavior? Because he knows that if you honor people, you'll honor him. Uh, don't want, you know, more than I can provide. In other words, don't lust after something that, you know, another country has. You, I'll give you enough. You don't need to worry about spoons, Terry. And so all these things line up. And Israel said, I will marry you. We will do it. If you read the story, you'll say, they say, yes, we will do it. We will do it. And then we know the rest of the story in which it comes, you know, they marry the cow. An interesting thing about this uh, story is that in the oral teachings which Jesus studied in the oral teachings it says that when these first laws these first Torah because these were the teacher these were the laws another word for law teacher la 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 that's what Torah means uh, all of these things were um, given and as they were given now I want you to look up at me because I want you to see this I know you're taking notes that's great but what, the, what was happening was it says that every time a new law came down and was written on the tablets, that first it went, this is what the oral teachings say, that it went to everybody in the room and there was a fire that landed on their head. And there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You ever see that replayed anyplace? Where? Where? Acts 2. What were they celebrating in Acts 2? 
Pentecost. So this was the first Pentecost. The first Pentecost was here at the mountain. And that first Pentecost, God gave us a prophetic vision of what's going to happen later because it says the Torah is pretty hard to understand without a teacher. I'll give you an outside teacher here, but when the Spirit comes, I'll give you an inside teacher. We call that the Holy Spirit. He's not there just for games and a shandalala and a shandalaling. So, they come out of there and they come out of the wilderness later and this is when they get the book of Deuteronomy. They're just coming out of the wilderness. I love the book of Deuteronomy because now God says, I'm going to give you some parameters because I'm going to give you the big definition of the word Torah. Torah means, it comes from the root word, which means to shoot an arrow and hit the mark. And I hit the mark. I pull back my bow and I hit that wall. The Torah is what helps us to walk, be taught to hit the mark, if you will. Without that instruction, I have the word sin. Now, don't get scared of this word. Sin means to miss the mark. So when I am involved in study, it's teaching me to hit the mark. And when I ignore that, I am less likely to hit the mark and more likely to make an error. Therefore, this is an amazing thing to me, sin then would be a hooked arrow and Torah would be a straight arrow. And the purpose of this is to help us become functional again. After the fall, we have this. This is who we are. We just are filled with the capacity to, I want to hit Mia with this arrow, and I pull back, and I want to do it, and then what happens is I don't want, and then what happens is I, I let go of the arrow, and it shoots old JJ over there. I didn't mean it, but it's part of my nature. <laughs> and so God says, I'm going to help you. I love you so much. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a teacher. I'm going to give you this wonderful thing. This thing right here, when I go to the Jewish services, like we are very casual with our Bibles. I go to the Jewish services. I happen to lay my Bible on the floor, and an usher came up and picked it up and kissed it and put it back on the chair next to me because that's how much the Jews love the Word of God. They love it way more than you do, way more. Way more than you do, way more than I do. So here's Jesus. He's training his people, and he has an understanding of Torah. Now, when we, where's my, look at me, I'm walking around like a nunu. All right. Can I erase this? Yes. Okay. So here you have Jesus, our great, wonderful, anointed Messiah. And people say, oh, well, I don't need to read the Torah. That's the Old Testament. I hate that term because... It, it sounds like in our culture particularly, what do you do with old people? You put them away. You put them in a, someplace. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you go back to the Pentecost? I don't I mm -hmm. understand, like, yeah. well, the significance 
Okay, let me try it again for you. Is that all right? Can we go back? Repetition's our friend, right? Okay, and when a student asks, do it. Okay, so here I am. Do you know when they landed at this mountain? They had just come out of Egypt. Here's Egypt and the pyramids. Okay, I'll draw a pyramid, sort of. Okay, they just come out of there. They've traveled. Boom, 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 boom. They just had Passover, the very first Passover. Yes? Okay. So they're coming out of here, and it says that they are to travel until they hit right here at day 50, 50 days out of uh, Egypt. So day 50, they hit the mountain. And day 50, Moses goes up here and receives this direction, this Torah. And the, the extra, extra biblical writings that Jesus studied say that when Torah was given, all these little babies are standing down, little chickens, ready to get married, la, 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 that as these, each of these things are spoken, as each of these things are spoken and these people are standing here, that a flame of fire comes and lands on each one of their heads. It also says that as these words were given that the mountain rumbled and that there was a sound of rushing wind, the sound of wind. It was very windy that day, just like us at the beach. Now, the significance is for us is that Jesus says, he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to heaven. And at the end, I want you to wait 50, he says, wait 50 days until Pentecost because he died on Passover, remember? Okay, so here's Passover. So here is Pentecost, 50 days later, whoa. And he says, I want you all just to sit there in the room. Just hang tough. And it says that on that 50th day, these, all these little chickens here are here again. So now these are people that believe in Messiah. Have, I want to follow him. And so what happens, it says in Acts 2, is it says that suddenly there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, sound of wind, and there were tongues of fire that landed on everybody. The significance is this little sweet chicken, is that over here the Torah was not, uh, I don't want to say was not, the Torah was difficult to follow for the Jews in one capacity in that they couldn't do it. There was no one to help them do it. So when Jesus sends the, what we call the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is called the teacher. His or her, his or her, his job is to teach how to live Torah. So he is a helper. He helps us to do this. This is the little voice now inside of me. I call the Holy Spirit's voice. This is that little voice inside of me that says, Terry, you shouldn't really take that spoon. It won't make me behave that way. But he'll say, you know, that is not the straight and the narrow there. Would you be willing to just back off of that? Now, as young people, you have many temptations. Uh, the worst years of my life, truly, were, was when I was young because so many desires are there. So passions, physical passions, uh, life is full of fun. It's, it just looks like it's going to explode all around. And you, um, your sense of consequence of what might happen is missing. 
That's the frontal lobe. That's why young people will get on a skateboard on the roof out here and skate off onto concrete. That is no sense of consequence. So young people that have all this passion and desire and need to do things or desire and want to live life crazy, you need older people around you and you need that Holy Spirit to go, and you will know the Holy Spirit's voice because he almost always speaks in Scripture. Almost always. So the significance of it then is that God, now all of the feasts, all of the festivals and feasts for the Jews have a prophetic, like a, they'll be reenacted. That's a whole nother class. But this particular, these two in particular, Passover has been fulfilled in Jesus. The lamb was slain, the blood was shed. Pentecost has been fulfilled. You and I now have within us a power, a, a divine power that will help us well, then I don't need to read Torah. No. You need to read Torah because the teacher's meant to help you with Torah, not just with general stuff. Yeah. He did seal them with the Spirit, but they messed up. He didn't seal them with the Spirit in the, sense, in the same way that you're thinking of. The word yeah, it's, it's a whole vernacular thing. He did seal them. He says, I'm married to them forever. I will not forsake Israel. However, she needs a little booklet to, to help her work this out. And that booklet is the Torah. And then later he says, they had trouble doing the Torah, so I will give them a helper to help them interpret it and give them a desire to study. That's the desire to want to know him. You say, I want to know you, God. I want to we all sing, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. And what happens is we think that knowing God is all about just singing to him and knowing God is about this. This is, this is how I know God. I don't know God just through experiences. Experiences are wonderful. I love when I shandala la and shingdala ling. I love that. I love when the presence of the Lord comes and I just fall. I love that. But I do not live my life based on those experiences. I live my life because this is the booklet. And God says, I'm going to put a little helper here to help you understand this. And you're going to be real hungry to know this. And when you're real hungry to know this, you're going to know me. Because if you don't know, this is what, in my estimation, this is what the issue is with the church today. She gets drug away by wind of doctrine. She does. Okay, I'm, since we're going here, I'll just go ahead and finish. So suppose, how many people remember a guy named Jim Baker? Anybody remember that yeah. name? Who is Jim Baker? Jim Baker had a huge ministry over North Carolina. It was called the PTL Club, Praise the Lord Club. Yeah. And it was right in the center of the time when the prosperity message was really hitting the church. The prosperity message said, can I erase this now? Okay, the prosperity. Where is the here, 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 here. Okay, the prosperity message said that God wants you rich. Now that is a big fat lie. But because we didn't know the Bible, look at me, I get a little crouchy here. Because we didn't know the Bible, we went, okay, good. That sounds good to me. It sounds great because yeah, I want to be rich and I want to be, you know, I want all the good things in life. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Well. 
Okay, so Jim Baker builds a ministry on this scripture that says, I wish, beloved, that you would be, uh, let's see if I can find it in here. Uh, but I, uh, um, I do have this quote here. Hold on. Okay, this is, this is, says, this is from his book. Jim Baker eventually wrote a book in prison. He, was, he got sent to jail for bilking the church out of millions of dollars, bilking them. And so the world judged him harshly, which they should have. But in the prison, all he had, he didn't have experiences anymore. All he had was this. And so he, when he comes out of prison, finally he writes this book called I Was Wrong. Those are beautiful, strong words. You have to learn that, as do I. Maybe I didn't interpret that right. Wow, I was wrong. God says, look up at me and let's get it straight and go on. All right. So the scripture that he used was this. It says, <clears throat> I'll quote from his book. He's talking. I says, I knew the verse well. It had been my favorite prosperity verse for years. It was the premier New Testament verse upon which I'd built my entire message and my lifestyle. Whoa. Now that's a scary thing when you build a lifestyle and a message on one verse. Because Jacob was smooth and Esau was hairy, I could build a lifestyle on that? Jacob was smooth. You guys don't know that scripture, okay. All right, okay. So it says, this is the scripture. Beloved, I wish that above all things you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Okay? So he reads that, and he reads it in English. And he has no biblical background, and he takes it out of context. And he begins to say, well, God says, Beloved, I wish that thou above, above all things, more than anything else, is what the scriptures, all things, I wish that thou hast may prosper. Oh, well, there's a great word. I want to prosper. How many people don't want to prosper? Yeah, let's all prosper. Wow. I said proper. Oh, shoot. Prosper. Okay, I want to proper too. <laughs> Above all things, I want to prosper and be in good health. Good health. Oh, yeah. I, I, listen, don't give me any of that, you know, athlete's foot. I'm, I don't want it. <laughs> you know, I don't, that's not nice. So I want to, I want, this is, this, I'm going to build my whole life that above all things. Now, first of all, I immediately see an issue with the phrase above all things. And I don't see that in the context of the whole Bible. That is not above all things. And the word prosper, so you got to look it up. Well, the word prosper and this whole phrase right here has to do with like a greeting. If you were to say, hey, have a great day. That's all the writer was saying. It's like, hey, have a good day. It was not to be opened up and thought of, oh, above all things, prosper, get lots of money, never get athlete's foot. It didn't mean that. It meant I, what I want for you basically is the same thing that we say in, uh, in Hebrew, which is shalom, which means I want your life to be filled with the things of God that make you whole, that make you... Uh, tam, that take you from mat to tam. That is shalom. That's what people say, shalom, same kind of a deal. So when he says all this and begins to live a lifestyle, then he says, well, if God wants me to prosper, then you need to send me money. And if you send me money, God will prosper you. 
Do you see how that could get crazy? That prosperity message still is in the church a little bit. Most of those teachers have kind of come back around, not all. But what I'm saying to you is this is a bunch of people who've only studied New Testament, have not studied Greek thinking, I mean, not studied Hebraic thinking, and so they find themselves up a creek without a paddle. Now there's no way to back down from this. So Jesus saw Torah as the main thing. Study is worship. Worship is study. God is Ahava. He just keeps on giving it to you. He just keeps on giving it to you. He just keeps on revealing himself. He reveals himself more in this book than any large meeting where you shimmer and shake. Now I'm talking like an old lady here, and I love the shimmer and shake. But the church at large, and you're the next church, you are the church. So I'm kind of here pleading, saying, oh my God, sweet little chickens, don't be blown away by this, you know, somebody says this. There's a whole bunch of teaching out there about this and this. You'll never know where to stand. And when the tough times come, and they're coming, you better know your word. I know you can play a D minor 7 flat 5 on the keyboard, but you better know the word. That will make you a worshiper. Okay? All right. I'd like to stop now. It's kind of a hole. Is that possible? No. She says no. I have to keep going. Okay, fine. I'll keep going. No problem. I'm a tree I can bend. <laughs> that was, um, let's see, I, uh, it's a huge book if you want to buy it. It's a killer. It's not an easy read, so let me find it. It is, uh, I don't have it. I just have the, huh? Uh-uh, might be. I don't know. Oh, here it is. Of course God's the one to prosper. You know the Bible says so. In 3 John, uh, John, uh, John 3, verse 2. It's close to Corinthians, about 10 pages away. <laughs> okay, so let's move on then. So we're going to talk again. This is my main, the, where I was meant, meaning to go here. And that was about the idea of uh, how Jesus loved the word of God. He loved it so much that he behaved it so much that people said, oh, look. There goes Torah. There goes somebody that hits the mark every time. Holy smoke, what a great thing to be said. What a great thing to be said. And I know, you know what I know? Is I talk to some of you at lunch and stuff. You want that too. You want people to say, oh my God, there goes a Christian. Wow. You want that. Because you have that teacher inside of you. Drawing you. It's a good thing. Okay. So how did Jesus, okay, how did Jesus Torah, and I just explained this to you, Torah comes from the word yara, which means to shoot straight. It's to shoot straight, pull back your uh, thing, okay. All right, here's the pictograph for Torah. What's this? That's Yara, that's Yara, or Torah. Now you say, well, what is this? This is, again, a hand. This is the head of a man. 
the whole combination of that means the hand of a man is used to point or throw. In other words, this hand is giving the direction to this head. So that's what Torah does. It gives direction to your head. You say, oh, I'm not, I don't care about intellectually. No, you're, before you do anything spiritually, your head thinks about it first. So Torah means Yara, okay? <clears throat> it's the way to become, to become, Tam. What's Tam? Functional. Functional. I come into the earth, Mott, so I move Tam. I become functional. This is how Jesus saw the Torah. There are four traditional ways of, of viewing the Torah. Let me show you how, how they go. Number one, four ways of how people view the Torah. There is the Hebraic view. This is how Hebrews, the Hebraic, a big word. I know another big word, delicatessen. <laughs> Hebraic view. Now, what is the Hebraic view? What do you suppose the Hebraic view is of Torah? Tell me. Come on, think. What do, you think, what do you think the Jews think of Torah now that I've told you all about it? What do you think they think of it? What did Jesus think of it? Okay, law. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How about this? It's okay. You're, you're stumbling, so I'll, I'll help you, okay? It's divine wisdom that teaches God and reverence for his will. It reveals God's nature. Reveals God's nature. It reveals God's nature. The Christian view, generally, is different. Most people say it's the old law, such as shame, that it's legalistic and it's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Not most, many Christian churches believe that. They do believe that. Now, people say, well, it's just, it's full of, you know, it's, it's legalistic. You know, New Testament is all about grace. Interesting. There are in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in Torah, there are 613 teachings or laws, whatever you want to call it, laws. In the New Testament, there are 1,006 laws. Don't tell me that you're not under the law. Yes, you are. God wants you to change. He wants you to change. Now, law doesn't mean like I'm going to get you and beat you with the stick. It means that these are the things, these behaviors will set you straight so that you become more functional. Does that make sense? Isn't that an amazing statistic? 613 teachings or laws in the Old Testament and a thousand Six in the New. What's a law in the New Testament? Well, how about love your enemies, Matthew 5. 
That's not in the Old Testament. How about um, husbands love your wives, wives honor your husband? That's another. It's not in there. It's not. These are, when Jesus came, he didn't come to dispel these. He came to properly interpret them. When it says, I didn't come to negate scripture, I came to properly interpret it. Show you what it looks like in real life. Now, the amazing thing about Jesus and being a worshiper and all that stuff is that Jesus really does want musicians to live this life even more than people who are not out front. Because you as a musician are being watched. You're being watched not just on the platform but off the platform. There's something about we think, oh, I come up to this six-inch platform. I'm over here, and I'm six inches lower, and then I step onto this. I'm on the platform. Now I'm anointed. No. Now you get to serve the congregation as a worship leader. You get to serve them as someone who provides music for them to touch God in this season, in this timing of adoration. And you do it from the perspective of one who themselves is functional and useful to God's purposes. This is what a worship leader's job is to do. I think I did this last year, but I'll do it again. Hey, I need uh, I need a man, JJ, that's you, and I need a girl. It's willing to be a fool. Okay, I think that is who wants to be foolish. You want to be foolish? Add a girl. Come on. Step out of the boat, Peter. Come on. Worship leader. No, this is God. I'm sorry. This is God. <laughs> he likes that role. <laughs> this is the body of Christ. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. So my job as a worship leader is to lead not just from the platform, but in a way that makes her want to go to God. So a lot of times we in worship, can I be real here? enjoy like we're in stay right there we're like we're like doing this you know we're just we're like noodling and I love noodles And I thank God that they're dancing. Dance. That's, that's it. That's it. That is your job as a worship leader. 
You are to help the other, the, uh, the other people in the room love God. So good. Very good. Okay, do you understand that? Yeah. Good. Thank you, guys. Sit down. Give them a clapping. Yeah. So many of, so much of the time we'll go. Now, watch this, young people, because we go and we think everybody in, in our in the room is young like us, and they know the same songs that we knew, and therefore I should have sing the songs that I know because that will move me to dance with God. The problem is, if you look at and you see a group of people that are 55 or 60, they don't know any of the songs that you're singing. So for you. To come up there and do all the, you know, I'll do a Misty song, not a Misty, I'll sing, uh, I love Misty. But for you to do something that's just super duper, uh, you know. You won't relent until you have it all. What key am I in? My heart is yours. What are the notes are? sing that and it really touches you and it's wonderful and you look out and all these 55 year olds are trying, they're going like this, they've got their eyes closed because they're trying not to they don't know how to stand you know how you fake it in worship yeah. they're faking it yeah so your job as the worship leader is to find something that will move them something you have to think, what, what song did they know 20 years ago, oh, they might have known and you go, oh that's just an old hack song That's a 57 Chevy, you know. <laughs> and I, and you open your eyes and you look out and here are these people going, I want to dance with them. I want to dance with them. So you sing whatever song connects for the people. That's what's called leading them to want to follow Jesus. And that means you're going low yourself. Yes? Christians view this as old and legalistic and all that jazz. They just view it as nasty, 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 not nasty, but they just feel it as, okay? Now, the Christians have a view of the Hebraic view. <laughs> this is the Christian view. Of Hebraic's view. And that is this. They say that the Torah is described as salvation by works. It's an earn your way to heaven. A lot of Christians, so these two things kind of go together. And they say, oh, you just earn your way to heaven. No. Their idea is not to earn their way to heaven. They believe that heaven can be on earth by the way that people behave. So when we talk about salvation, if you go to Israel, don't you go to a Jew and say, you want to get saved? They will not like that, and they won't understand it. So don't say that to them. What you want to say to somebody in Israel, if you're trying to evangelize or talk to them about Jesus, is say, you know, I love the Jews. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. You're so, it's so wonderful. Anybody here Jewish, by the way, or knows it? Okay. You know, okay. I want to thank you. <laughs> She's doing the little dance there. I don't know what that's about. Um, you say, I want to thank you. I want to tell you. Uh, let me ask you something, sir, Mr. Jewish man. What, uh, or Jewish lady, what, who's your Messiah? And they say, well, he hasn't come yet. Da, da, da. You strike up a conversation, and then you say, oh, well, let me tell you about mine. He's one of your guys, and I'm so grateful to you. My, my Messiah 
was a Jew, and I love him. Let me tell you about him. Don't tell me to get saved. They are, they believe that they are a saved nation. They are God's chosen people. So the word saved to them is very offensive. So just do it the other way. Say, who's your Messiah? Okay. All right, let me finish this, and then we'll be done here. Jesus' view of the Torah was exactly like the Hebraic, which is that it reveals God's nature. So you can put four here if you want to, Jesus' view. I like Jesus. Jesus' view equals number one. Okay? All right. And then uh, one more word. No. Yeah, one more word and we'll talk about it. Now, the idea of walking this out reveals God's nature and how I live. The word is halakha. Everybody say halakha. Halakha, halakha, raja, halakha, raja. No. <laughs> halakha. Say it again. It means not just believing the word, but behaving it, walking it out. Behaving the word, halakha. So they have a lot of teachings about how to live, how to behave it out. And Jesus was the, except, the extraordinary one that walked it out perfectly. Ergo, they called him, look, there goes the Torah. Okay? Any questions? I'll t- entertain a couple questions, then we'll break. Okay? You guys seem hot and tired this morning. Yes? So good. She always says that to make me feel good. A little exhorter over there. Thank you. I'll take it. Uh-huh. Anything else? Okay. All right, Jesus, thank you for the food that we're about to consume. Uh, we don't want to bless the food, though, God, because we want to be Hebraic. You don't bless the food. You bless the giver. Thank you, God. Bless this food to our bodies. Is it? God goes, wait a minute. What kind of food isn't good to your bodies? How come you're going to eat it then? Are you from the Northwest? No. Uh, so what I'm saying is God can't, can't do anything with the, with the food. It's there. So you bless the giver. So God, thanks for whatever's out there, good, bad, or ugly. Amen. Okay. All right.
Okay. So a few announcements. Um, JJ Small Group. JJ Small Group are meeting tonight at the Ekbalo showing in yeah, we are. Ch- on um, in the Ohana Court. I think it's six. Is it six thirty? Six thirty. There's um, a showing of the Ekbalo movie. So JJ's small group is going to that. Um, another thing that I forgot to mention. Can I have your attention, please? Um, another thing I forgot to mention. Thank you so much to the classroom decorations. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's been in my head since yesterday. It made me so happy. And the classroom looked so clean yesterday when I came in. I was really, really blessed. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Grace is taking all the credit for that. She wasn't here. Um, so yeah, small group. Um, you want announcement? Yeah, mine is. No, I don't. Okay. Mine is to be announced. Hi guys. So yeah, by the uh, by the lunchtime, hopefully we'll have an answer from Jill because she wants to be here. I want her to make it so we'll find the time. And this afternoon. Wait, is this good? Sorry. Is three and four tomorrow? It's for practice for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And this afternoon for music theory. The wonderful Terry Terry is going to be doing a workshop with us. It's so much fun, and it's it's all and it's going to be vocal coaching. So get ready, get ready, and yep. Yes, that's coming. And then this is for at two o'clock this afternoon, and I want the originals back. Okay. Oh yeah, you are. It's fronts and backs there. Do you notice that? Okay. It's the end of, not the end of it. It's a start up again. So what should a good teacher do? That's good. There you go. All right. So good teacher reviews because repetition helps us to remember that. Okay. Let's try this. Remember that? What's the last word I gave you? Look, cheat. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, it means to lift the hair away. Uh-huh. To act it out. How you walk it out. Mm-hmm. Walk it out. Okay. How many New Testament laws are there? Good job. How many Old Testament laws are there? That's it. Very good. What is the word? What is this word? Oops. What does this word mean, please? Hit the mark. What's the opposite of hitting the mark? Good job. You know what? I'm impressed. Good job. It's Tuesday. Is that the? Is that what happens on Tuesday? Excitement. Okay. What would you say the average Christian church says about the Old Testament? It's not on the board, but they. It's not important. And it's really irrelevant is basically what they say. Okay, good. As long as we're kind of tracking with that, that's perfect. Okay, I did find the paper that I needed to bring you the information about the rest of it, of uh, education. 
when I told you the story about Peter and, and all that, and I said that starting at age zero to five, and I'll finish the chart now, so if you want to go back to that in your notes or redo it or whatever, it's okay with me. Study is worship. Worship is study. Parents, here. Girls and boys. Age five, they go to Bet Sefer. I said Torah before it was wrong, Sefer. Bet Sefer. Bet means house, alphabet. Remember this? That's Bet. Bet, okay. And Sefer, <clears throat> Sefer is the first studies. Now, this is what they study in what we would call kindergarten. Look at what they have to learn. Little itty-bitty chickens, babies. I'm going to list them here for you, okay? They have to learn, let me see if I can get this all, uh, Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 5. They have to memorize it. Genesis chapters 1 through 5, they have to memorize. They have to memorize Psalms 113 through 118. Psalm 113 through 118. They have to learn the Shema, which we'll talk about later, the Shema. The Shema is the hero, hero Israel, the Lord our God is la, la, la. We'll talk more about the Shema. And then what's the last thing I have on the list? Okay. They have to memorize, that's it. They have to memorize all this. This is five-year-olds. Now I want you to think about the five-year-old that you know. What they are memorizing is pretty much what they see on TV, what they see on Game Boy, what they see in uh, what they are, are uh, um, see in movies, videos, la la la. So what's happening to a little five-year-old? By the way, the five-year-old brain is like a sponge, and so the Hebrews understood that little itty bitty people like this. And some I don't know how they understood it, but they did understand it because the scripture said. Teach your children day and night and night and day and day and night and night and day. Teach them this stuff because this is the thing that changes the way they think. So we have a generation coming up before us now. Your children or even your children's children. Yes, you will be old like me someday. All right. Hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, They will either be stuffed with the things of the universe or they'll be stuffed with scripture. How many of you here could tell me or could memorize for me or could say even one chapter of Genesis? No. Because we do not emphasize the word in our churches. We emphasize experiences. And experiences are wonderful, but without the word, they lose the strength uh, and the direction that you need from learning Torah. Does that make sense? Say yes. Okay. Good. At age Shema? Okay, Shema is a scripture in Deuteronomy, and it is considered the prayer. Like, we have, we, I would say in the, in the New Testament, our big prayer is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, la, 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 right? Everybody learns that. Even little kids learn that. But the Shema is learned by babies in, uh, uh, and theirs is Deuteronomy, I think it's 6-4. I'm lousy with addresses. I think it's 6-4. And it says, Hear, O Israel! 
The Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. You ever heard that before? Because Jesus quotes that. Some guys come up to Jesus and they say, what's the most important thing in Christianity? He says, boom, and he quotes the Shema. Now, I have a whole day or so we're going to talk about the Shema, so I'll, I'll go into that later. Is that okay? Is that okay with you, Lauren? Okay. Because if Lauren says no, I'll have to do something else. Okay? At age 10, now this is during, from ages, uh, at age 5, from age 5 to 10. At age 10, they go into another school, the house of Bet. What does Bet mean? House of, right? Say it again, Bet. Bet. Talmud. Has anybody ever heard this word? They're studying Talmud. All right, let's explain that. Can we? I'm going to draw a little circle, and I want you to follow this little thing for me. In the, this is a, a Talmud is this. I'll put it over here so I don't take up so much room. Okay. This is what we call Tanakh, or T-N-K-H. This is Torah, Netuvim, and Ketuvim. This is, uh, this is Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then the writings and the prophets, which is basically all of the Old Testament. So I'm just going to put it down here, OT, and then you'll get it. Okay, Old Testament. Yes? Okay. Beyond that, there's called the oral teachings. Oral teachings. Now, these are things that the Jews, the Hebrews, believe were given by God, and they, they, but they were not written down. Like, they were not written down like uh, what we have in God's law. These are called the oral teachings. Jesus studied this and this. And then... You have a whole bunch of rabbinical writings on top of that. This is called the oral teachings. This is called the commentaries. And it's kind of like what we have even in our church. Somebody writes a book about a certain scripture. They study it and they have commentaries about it. Uh, I can't think of anything right now, but a book you might get in the library that's a study on the book of Romans. That would be a commentary a book on the, in your library about the Psalms, and that would be a commentary. There's a book, an old classic book called The Treasury of David, in which the author talks about all the Psalms. It's a commentary. It's his comments on that, his understanding of it, or his insights. Okay? So then outside of that, and by the way, you want big words. Oral teachings is called, what's it called? Okay, just gone from my brain. I had it a second ago. But the commentaries are called, oh, it's called the Mishnah. Mishnah. And the commentaries are called the Gemara. Now, somebody, as I was walking in the door, said that they were looking at some things online about Kabbalistic Hebraic studies. Do not get into Kabbalah. Kabbalah is a, is a twisted form of Hebrew theology. It's what Madonna got into. It's spooky dooky, not good. So don't study the Kabbalah. You first of all need to just study the word. <laughs> don't worry about it. Everybody wants to jump to like, oh, can I study, you know, nuclear scientists? Yes, you can, after you learn your times tables, you know? Okay, so all this, which would be the, the Old Testament, the written Old Testament, the oral teachings, and the commentaries on all this, this whole thing right here is called the Talmud. So when people go to study Talmud, this is what they are studying. So at age 10, these little chickens 
they are studying uh, Old Testament, the oral teachings around that, the uh, Gemara, the uh, commentaries about that. That whole place is called, I'm going to Talmud, I'm going to Hebrew school, Talmud, to study those parts of Hebraic word. Does that make sense to you? Say yes. Okay. Yeah. Am I keeping you up? Are you guys okay? You seem a little tired this morning. What, baby? Sefer. Oh, uh, Sefer means the beginning. These are the uh, bet of the beginnings. And Talmud means all of this. So the house of the beginnings, the house of uh, the Talmud, all those things. Okay? So at age 10, this is when they study that. Now, say it again. House, bet is house. Remember when we did bet a minute ago? Let me connect this for you. We said ahava was looking out for or behold. And then it's the house, the household. This is the Hebrew letter bet. So it means the tent of or the household of. Does that make sense? Does that help? Pull this together a little. Okay. All right, at age 12 and 13... So this is a couple years here these kids are studying, 12 and 13, depending upon the person's body, when they become reproductively sound, in other words, you're considered a man or a woman, I said this yesterday, when you can either hold a baby in your womb or, gosh, or create babies through your seed. And so at age 12 or 13, your body is adult, and therefore, in the Hebrew mind, you're an adult. You are accountable now for your own mistakes. So if you make a mistake, you can't say it was my dad's, you know, I, I had a dysfunctional family. Baloney. Baloney. You can't blame your parents for anything anymore for your own behaviors. Say, well, you know, I had a difficult life. Well, yeah, didn't we all? We're all dysfunctional. But you're responsible now. You cannot pass that off. That's called a blame shift in psychology. And we're not going to do that. It's like my granddaughter. I'll say to her, Kimmy, you didn't pick up your, your clothes off your floor. She says, well, sometimes you don't do it. That's called a blame shift. She shifted the blame from me, I mean, from herself to me. In other words, like, I deflect the fact that I didn't do it, that I did something wrong. I'm going to point out your mistakes. That's really poor in, in growing up. You have to accept what you did. Say, yeah, you know what, I do. I do that sometimes, but I'm your mother. I'm your grandmother. Pick it up. Okay. So at age 12 or 13, they have what's called a bar mitzvah. When you see mitzvah. Yeah, oh yeah, I hear the lights coming on. Oh yeah, sometimes people have a bar mitzvah. What this means is... <laughs> Pardon me? For you, it's who? No, you're not, Grace. What's at 19 for you, sweetie? What's that, what happens to you at 19? At church? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, well, it's kind of a rite of passage. It says you're an adult, yeah. Yeah, you can get like a ring and stuff. Definitely. What does that ring and stuff mean? It means that, means that you've made a covenant. It says, yep, I'm not going to break the covenant. I'm not going to marry a cow. Yeah. Okay. So bar mitzvah occurs so that these, uh, these young people are now considered in the church. They are now uh, able to uh, accept responsibility. After age 13, from ages 13, now this is where if you're not sharp, they send you back home with no more further uh, 
rabbinical training. So at this point is where, at age 13, is where Peter and Andrew ended up going back to being fishermen because they weren't particularly sharp at school. From 13 to 15, it's called Bet Midrash. I'll tell you what that is. Midrash is deep study of lots of these commentaries of the Mishnah and the Gemara, Bet Midrash. It's the school where you really focus in on these two. I'm in your way, sorry. It's called the House of Study. House of Study. The rabbis say, at this point, you're going to like this or you're not going to like it. They say that the highest form of worship is the house of study. <coughs> the highest form of worship is the house of study. Where does that leave me as a piano player? And I don't know the word of God. It means that it's not the highest form of worship yet. The highest form of worship is when I study and then sing what it is. Okay, now this is interesting. <clears throat> this is a quote from a rabbi. It says, when we pray, we speak to God. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. When we study, God speaks to us. When we pray, we speak to God. When we study, God speaks speaks to us. Powerful. When you entered this in ages 13 to 15, you studied day and night and night and day, but incense that was arising was your becoming knowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Day and night and night and day. They even studied... Um, in this house, on Sabbath or holidays. In other words, they never stopped. These kids that came into this thing ate and slept there. This is, they don't have a, a discipler yet, but they're learning in a large group. They ate and slept in this house. The Bet Midrash, I told you yesterday, if they didn't have money to build a church, and they could either build a house of study or a church, they would always build a house of study because that was the highest form of worship. Jesus thought that that was the highest form of worship. Okay. This is a prayer that they would pray when they'd come in the door, like if they were coming into this class right now, they'd come in and they'd say this. They'd say, God, save me from errors of misinterpreting Torah. big stuff. So at age 15, so for a couple years here they're doing that, and at age 15 they study what's called the sages. Now the sages is mostly now all these commentaries, the wise writings of old, old people, old people that you think are dead and belong in a wheelchair. They say, no, they might know something. 
And it has to do because they want to understand wisdom. And what is wisdom for a Jew? It's not how much you know. It's how much you halakha. I'm wise if I walk out what I know. I am unwise if I do not. How many of you know the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins? Has anybody ever heard that? Okay. Everybody says, oh, well, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And we look at that word wise based on our cultural understanding of that word. But in that parable, Jesus was speaking from a Hebraic perspective. And the, and the wise virgins, all the virgins, were to be part of a wedding party. It would be like being a guest at the, or a bridesmaid at a party, at the wedding party. You know, girls, you get to wear the dress and all this. But they took it more than, more than just wearing the dress. They had a responsibility to the bridal party. And their, their responsibility was like nowadays, you know, you provide the night before party for the girl or you take her out or you give a shower or whatever. But their responsibilities didn't include that. Instead, these, these young women's job was to make sure that there was enough light for the bridegroom to find his, to find his bride. So when in the parable it says the wise and the foolish virgins, it says the foolish virgins didn't bring enough oil. Now people interpret that to say they didn't bring enough Holy Spirit. It, that's not what it means at all. They didn't bring enough oil. And the reason they didn't bring enough oil is because they weren't wise. They were foolish. They didn't care about the wedding party. They didn't care enough about another person to make sure that that person would get, get to their wedding. So when we talk about being a wise person, it has to do with how we identify with people and whether or not we recognize them as just as important as us, no matter what level of society they're in, we will go low and serve them and act out the wisdom of that. So they studied so that they could become wise. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that it's all about relationships, how you treat people. Wisdom's calling in the streets. It's not just going, you need to learn Hebrew. No, it's saying you need to treat people. It's the golden rule, which nobody preaches about anymore. Treat somebody else like you'd want to be treated. I was at a, a worship conference one time. And with a very famous person at the time, this is back in the 70s and 80s, and I was just, I was like this little groupie. I just thought, I was so excited. I'd grown up Catholic, and so I saw this cool music, you know, like in Catholic, it's all like this, you know. All that, and I, and suddenly they were doing, I went, oh man, I'm in it, you know. And so uh, I'm so excited. I'm such a groupie. There are two speakers that morning. One is a younger man, great singer, great singer, great worship leader. I mean, really, moved the room. No doubt about that. Music moved the room. And then on this other side was an older man, uh, probably in his 50s. And I enjoyed the speaking, and I enjoyed the, the, uh, the time of praise and adoration. I loved all that. And so after the service, you know how you kind of go, I think I want to talk to him. So I snuck up kind of and I came up to this guy and he's real tall and I said oh and I'm talking to him look at me I'm talking to him like this and while I'm talking this is him now 
He's looking over my head and looking at other people and waving at them. And you know how, like, you know when somebody's looking at somebody else when they're not looking at you? That's unwise. Because he made me feel like I wasn't important by not looking at me. And I just was kind of, I said, oh, I, you know, I, I, love, I love what you did. Da, da, da. And he's going, yeah. He just kind of brushed me off, kind of blew me off, you know. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I, and I came across this area, and this older man was standing down here. And he had seen what this young man had done. And he walked up to me, and he said, hi. My name is Sam Sasser. He says, I don't know you, but I think I'd like to get to know you. Would you have coffee with me? The speaker wants to have coffee with me? He was a wise man. He was a foolish man. See the difference? Yeah. So they learned these wise writings. And by the time they... Uh, Ah, oh, practical advice. Mm -hmm. how, to, how, how to function successfully. Then at age 18, you're going to like this, Grace. Where's my marker? Does anybody see it any place? Well, you may not. Oh, there it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. At age 18, you're eligible for marriage. Okay. They're eligible for marriage. They don't have to get married. They don't have to. Many chose not to marry, no reason in particular, just that they, whatever. It's what Paul addresses later. The Jews believed, however, you were never particularly uh, finished as a man until you had a wife, which I don't know. We'll see. Okay, I'll have to see about that. I don't know. All right. So they, they could choose to marry or not marry. At age 20, let's see, I just squashed this all in here. At age 20... Now, these are people who are studying nothing but the scriptures for 20 years. So they have, when two or three come together, they have knowledge of the scriptures. It's not just people that have just been born again and that don't know and that still filter everything they have through their crooked lens. They haven't seen God clearly. They've only seen their experience. So at age 20, they are... They are supposed to, after they get married, now this is it, they pursue a vocation. Pursue a vocation. What's a vocation? Job. Mm -hmm. Because the Jews believe that every minister had a job as a trade as well as being able to preach. They believe that you should be a good um, doctor because if you're a good doctor, you're bringing heaven to earth by healing people. They believed you should be a good accountant or produce a good product because you're bringing heaven to earth by helping the, uh, helping the earth become full of God's glory. So they always had a vocation. That's why Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a mason. Didn't mean that they didn't travel or itinerate. It meant that when they didn't, they were back home working. Okay. At age 30, I'll come over here. At age 30... They became what's called ready for full vigor of ministry, which means like, remember how Jesus had to be, it was 30? Well, actually, he, the, the latest scholarship says he wasn't 30. He was 30-something, I think, 33. So the, 
You always have to be looking. So at age 30, full vigor in ministry. That doesn't mean he stopped being a... Um, Paul doesn't stop being a tent maker. It means that he's still, he has the, some degree of wisdom for, full, for uh, ministry, okay? And then at age 40, now we're getting up there where I like it, okay? Around 40, they say you are finally what they call you've reached the age of understanding. So those of you that say, oh, I, you know, I just want to know God, I want to understand him, you have to wait. And understanding him came after 40 years of study in the Bible. You say, well, shoot, there's no hope for me. Yes, there is. Start today. Yes, there is. I was 27 or 28 when I got saved. I didn't know squat. I just knew Catholic, you know, our Father who art in heaven and hail Mary full of grace. That was it for me. So full understanding at age 40. At age 50, you are now considered old enough to counsel. C-O-U-N-C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Age 50. Why would that be? Why? Why would that be good? Old enough to counsel. They've had 50 years of scripture. 50. I think they might know something. And also at age 50, they become excellent at their job. Excellent at job. So they're not just a, you know, a mason. They are an excellent mason. Yes. Pardon me? Like rabbis. Like rabbis. All rabbis had a, had a vocation, yes. But, so they were older. Like because Jesus, was he counseling? He had done this. His full vigor ministry means that he could itinerate. Well, in the sense of like in his community, he could counsel. I mean, I mean, with what the people he was teaching as a rabbi. A rabbi then, this is the average person, okay? But a rabbi had spent even more out, many other years in additional things. Yeah, he could counsel here, but it wasn't. He wasn't considered at this point to be old enough to uh, or to be excellent enough at his job to be like a fifty-year-old. No, he was still a thirty, which is part of the reason they didn't like him. Who's this young upstart? Okay, so they they had they have all these um, kind of parameters. So when we talk about being able to be a worshiper, we're talking about being able to understand the Word of God way beyond where you even think you are now, or where I think I am now. Like I find seasons of my life right now when I'm real hungry for the Bible, and other seasons I'm hungry to read a commentary, or I'm hungry to do all this. That is still counts. I'm still after God. I'm still after him. You do not have to know the Hebrew. There are some, I'm going to give you some sources for you to, some tools if you want to have, begin to do this kind of study. And it starts little. You're going to start in kindergarten, if you will. You, first of all, you need to start memorizing scripture. Pick out a psalm, memorize it, and do it for, I mean, for a month if you need to. Just keep saying it over and over. You got one, good. And then go on to the next one and memorize a passage of John or whatever kind of, grabs you begin to memorize scripture because if you don't memorize it it's not the teacher inside of you doesn't have anything to pull from 
So you will get much more instruction from God from your memorization. Not that you understand it all, but it'll just be there, okay? All right, let's talk about some, let me uh, find some stuff for you here, okay? I want to show you my Bible. And we might have to just gather around or something. I don't know. We'll see. Do I have to hold this microphone again? All right, fine. Let me just put it up here. Okay, I'm going to show, I hope that doesn't fall. Now, it's all right. Okay, this is my black Bible. information in that. So in my Bible, the word blessed, the word blessed in this particular Bible has a number next to it. And I'll find that number. The number is, oh gosh, I can't read from my own writing, 835, I think. 835. It's like a little dark thing. I say, hmm, wonder what it means. So I go to the back of my Bible, which I can't do upside down, but I go to the back of my Bible, to the, which testament am I in? The old, so don't jump into the new and go, that doesn't sound like it works. You want to go to the Old Testament. I'm looking for, what number does it say? 835. 835. Now I'm going through here, and I'm looking, I'm trying to find it. I've had this Bible for 20 years. Okay, 835. 
Yeah. Okay, so I went through, and here's my lexicon. This is not the Strong's. A lexicon is a little more in-depth than a Strong's. A Strong's gives you a, maybe a one word, but a lexicon gives you a wider understanding of the word. It's not the end of the day, but it's the beginning of the day. Okay? So here I am at A35, and I want you, my friend, to read what it says under A35. What it says there, the big, read that big black word. Can you read it? Escher. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Read what the definition says. This word is used only in the PL and means blessed. 25 of the 44 occurrences in the Old Testament appear in the Psalms. Okay, so it means blessed. Okay, so what, well, that doesn't mean squat. What does that mean, blessed? So it says how blessed. Well, then I go to a thing called, wait a minute. And I go to a thing. Then I go back and I look. In this particular case, this word means. I wrote it down in my Bible today, so let me go back. Um, Psalm one. I should have had that marked. Sorry. Psalm one. It means straight, and in a constant state of forgiveness. Oh, blessed. And then we go on to say, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does wicked mean? When you're looking up words, you want to look for nouns. You guys know what nouns are? Yes. And verbs when you first start here. You want to do a little word studies. You want to look for a noun. So back it up. That the word here for me is uh, wicked. Who does not walk in the counsel of the 
Wicked. Yeah, it's 7563, and I already know what it is because I read it this morning. Um, wicked means turbulent, restless, disjointed, confused, perpetual agitation that they cause others, hostile towards God and hostile towards people. Those are wicked people. That's not you. Sometimes you go, well, I'm wicked. No, you're not. Poorly regulated, confused, perpetually agitated, hostile towards God and his people. So how happy, how straight is a man who does not walk with people like that? That doesn't mean you don't, you disassociate. It means that you don't take their counsel. This is nor stand in the path of Sinners. I just looked that one up this morning too. <coughs> Sinners means those who habitually break the law. Not occasionally, but habitually. I habitually drink Cokes. They're not once or occasionally for me. They're every day. I'm habitually hooked on Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's every day for me. Is there anybody else like that in this room? Uh, All right. Diet Coke. I don't know. I'll diet take Coke. diet, or, but I like regular when I'm working, okay? <laughs> I am hooked. It's not an occasional thing. Now, somebody over here says, oh, I occasionally drink a Coke. Well, good. You're not a sinner. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm habitually hooked on this. So, I woke up this morning thinking about it. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> now... Another thing you want to begin to do now, again, I would, if you want to, I'll pass this Bible around. I have some little notes for my granddaughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, and you can, you can just, but it's falling apart. It needs to be rebound again. I got a whole section in the front that's dingling, so. And then I write funny things in there, so don't judge me, okay? Go ahead and judge me, you stinkers. But, um, so you can have it, I'll start here and you just pass it around there. Whoever gets it last, please bring it to me. I suggest that for a beginning scholar, a beginning worshiper. Somebody asked me what FMA is like. FMA is the music school out there. Well, I wish I could tell you it was a normal music school. It's not a mu normal music school in that music is not the uh, most important thing. Everybody in the music school takes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four times two, sixteen theology classes. Uh -huh. Love that. Uh -huh. 16 theology classes plus you learn to get uh, uh, more skill and facility on your instrument. So FMA is not a music school. I just throw that out there for those of you that are looking or thinking about something like that. We have, uh, we have about 250, maybe 275 students from all over the world. And if you're interested at all, and I'm, I'm kind of hawking the school now a little, it's okay, I'm shamelessly doing it is that it's the it's called forerunner music academy forerunner music academy we have uh, the forerunner music academy again has 16 theology classes they get the same they get a, about two, one, two, three, four. they get about six classes less than the bible school the Bible school doesn't get all that fun stuff about how do I make a chord sound nice and not just play a triad. 
There's a trick. I'm good at tricks. All right. So here's my C chord. Everybody knows how to do that, right? C chord, ish, and G for the guitar players. Mm -hmm. And so I have in the key of C, I have a one chord, one, five. So I can make my one chord prettier by adding this note. Ooh. I added. Yeah, JJ likes that. And I can make my five chord by adding these notes. Ooh. There's a five. I'll play one. Here's one. One. Five. I'll add the notes. Same progression. so I do what's called a turnaround. Yeah. How great. They got to come with me because the turnaround makes the move. That's the kind of things you learn. Okay. So when we study the Bible and we study our instrument, we are a powerhouse for God because we become a worshiper who plays an instrument. The power of that is almost un fathomable and that's why the enemy hates you that's why he throws a bunch of stupid thoughts in your brain like you can't do it you're wicked you're terrible whatever too young all that is to stop you in your tracks and that's okay I get that tried to stop me I used to be the most I was on medications for depression suicidal then I started reading my Bible and it changed my inner man. It just did. So be that as it may. Okay, I want to end this class talking to you about what it means to be a giver and not a taker in worship. The reason you're able to give is because you've got stuff inside of you. You already have the Holy Ghost. It's great. Now stop right here, Terry, and get a drink of Coke. Okay, I will. Last year, but I feel like I need to do it for you guys too. Uh, marker. 
looking at it. There are trees in the garden. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is called the tree of death. Jews called this the tree of life. The tree of good and evil, once we eat it, causes us to jump into comparison. Comparison means that I will watch you on the platform. Oh, I gotta use the mic. Uh, I will watch you on the platform, and I will decide whether or not I feel as though you are worthy of my jumping into worship with you. And so I will end up comparing, say, well, you know, I can't play that good, I can't sing that good, I might as well just forget it. Comparison is death. It just is. We love comparison. We love the fact that some people are better than others. We love it. We're number one. Every team I know in the world goes, we're number one. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be, the, nobody who doesn't want to be the loser. Everybody wants to be the winner. So I'm a worshiper. I'm going to try to be the best worshiper I can be. Don't. Just be a worshiper. Anyhow, comparison, which means that we rate. Now I have had the experience of being a worship pastor for several years, a thousand years ago. And I was um, amazed because I would rotate teams in. I was the senior, not senior pastor, the pastor of the, what you call it. And I'd rotate teams in various Sundays. And I would watch because the minute that the team came up here to become a worship leader to help God dance with his bride, they would be all spiritual. They'd say, bless the Lord, and slap their D. Bless the Lord. And then I'd watch the team that wasn't up that particular week, and they're in the back, and they're doing this. Like they're watching for the other person to make a mistake because they want to compare. And if the person is better than they are, they go south. And if the person is not as good as they are, they go south by saying that they're better. It's bad news to compare. Do you remember when I said Hebraic thinking, competition, bad? Cooperation is God's straight way. How do you know that? You don't know that unless you read that in the scriptures. All right. So from this tree, when I love God, when I love God, I love him so that I can win. I love him with a hook. I say, God, I'll, I love you. I'll follow you. I'll do anything you want me to do, but I want to be a missionary in India. And so I'll do anything to get, I'll, I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll, you know, I'll just do it all. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do, God, to make, to make this possible. And so we do our little plan. We say, oh, I fasted, I prayed, I, you know, and I heard the Lord. Oh, good. Let me tell you about hearing from the Lord. When you hear from the Lord, you wait for the circumstances to open. Do not walk on just a word. Do not. You wait. If the Lord says you're going to India and you get a check two days later, you're going to India. But if you say you're going to India and no money comes forward, you're not going to India. Now that's pretty tough stuff because we want to be spooky about it. But the Lord will show up in circumstances in ways that you can't imagine. Yes, sir. 
Talk about it. It's okay. You're pushing back. I can tell. If you have faith, then God will come up with the next part. Right. Okay, I have faith that I'm going to India. Okay, I have all kinds of faith. But I'm not going to make, I'm not going to twist God's arm. I'm going to let that money show up and then, yeah, my faith paid off. So I think we're saying the same things. But I've seen so many families and people say, oh, well, you know, I felt like the Lord told me to go to whatever, someplace, and they come back broken and misunderstanding God and it didn't go the way they thought it would, and so now they're shipwrecked. I don't want you to be shipwrecked. God, if God's going to do it, he'll do it. You don't have to worry about it. It'll just be there. It'll just be there. You don't have to, you don't have to beat the walls of heaven. You have to go, oh, please, oh, God. You don't have to do that. You say, God, if you want me there, it'll happen. You have to know that. So I'm not against what you're saying. I think we're saying the same things. I just said it in a provocative way. Okay, so my job then, from this perspective, is I love God in order to get something, to get my needs met. Sometimes we come to worship like that. I'm going to worship you, Lord, because I'm asking you for something. That's not worship. That's petition. That's a whole different thing. It may even be manipulation. Okay, the other tree over here has no hook and it says, I will love you whether or not you meet my needs or not, God. That's a worshiper's mindset. That's a Hebrew mindset. I will love you whether or not I have to go onto that cross, Jesus says. I'm going to love you. I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't like it, but I'll do it. So this good and evil thing messes me up. I become somebody that's always looking for God to give me something. I'm going to go to that church and go to that meeting because I want to get an anointing. You're supposed to go to that church to give God the next piece of you. So this is a comparison in how we look at our lives as worship leaders, as worship studiers, as whatever. I don't come to, <clears throat> I don't come to God to get something from his word. I come to give him my heart and say, Lord, anything you want to show me, it'll, you'll show me. So, so different than a, I got to get a word from the Lord. No, you don't. Some days he just, you don't know this, I'm old. But some days, if you, once you've been married 45 years, you know, you don't have to have kissy face every day. You look at your grandma and grandpa, they're not over there like needing a hotel room. They just, they know they love each other. And it's much more settled. Then she doesn't have to put her teeth in. And he doesn't have to put on his toupee. They still love each other. That's a worshiper. That's a, not a worshiper. It's a picture of a worshiper with God. I don't have to put my teeth in to talk to him and be good. He'll listen to me when my jaw flaps funny. And I don't expect him to be, you know, he doesn't have to talk to me every day. I'm okay. All right. Though I like it when he talks to me, but I don't get angry. So this is this ahava. 
that we talked about a little bit. Now, out of Ahava comes an exercise of giving back to God. And God, I'm a, I taught this last year, but I'm going to teach it again. I felt like it. So there. For those of you that heard it before, repetition is your friend, okay? Okay, so out of this, God says, I want to help you learn. I want to help you learn to be a giver because you're pretty much a taker. We are all pretty much takers. You know, we, we say, who's that good bass player? I want him on my team. Why do you want him on your team? Why? Because it makes you look good. You get something out of that, don't you? So you take him out over to the coffee shop. You say, hey, what are you doing? I want you to be on my team, la, la, la. And he says, well, I'd love to be on your team. It's just that I'm on somebody else's team. And you never take him out for coffee again. Well. Well. So what we have here is this God wants to teach us to give, to give continually to him. And that means go low, which means that I give to him from a place of what the Bible calls praise. Mm -hmm. Praise is giving God a compliment. Giving God a compliment. Okay, let me have Joe. Do they all know you, Joe? Come on. Everybody knows Joe. Come on up here, Joe. Okay, teaches you. Okay, here's Uncle Joe, all right? And he has this terrible, he's got some hair hair on his chin I'm concerned about. I want you to know I have the same problem, postmenopausal, you know. So here's Joe. So we're going to go around the room, and I want you to think of one word that describes his nature, his God, anything godly about him, a compliment about his godliness. One word, okay? You ready? Okay, so as I come around, then you just tell me what that word is. What is it? Kindness. Kindness? What do you say, sweetie? Um, joy. Joy. Gracious. Gracious. Kind. Kind? What do you say, Bo? Judgmental? Genuine. Oh, genuine. <laughs> genuine. Okay. What do you say? Thinker. Thinker. Yes, Hardworking. Hard working. What do you say? Deep. What do you say? Um, respectful. Respectful. Passionate. Passionate. Deep. These are nice. I would have said thinker. Thinker. Okay, good. What do you say? Hi. Hi. Oh, I thought you said hi. <laughs> What do you say? Humble. Humble. What do you say? Unique. Pardon me? Unique. Unique. All right. Polite. Polite. Persevering. Persevering. Genuine. Genuine. Loyal. Loyal. Original. Original. Joyful. Joyful. Uh huh. What do you say? Guadalajara. Say. <laughs> what did he say? What? You were texting? Oh, look at my Bible. Okay, is, what word? Is a, an encourager. An encourager. Yeah. Deep. Deep. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fearless. Fearless. What do you say? Yeah. What do you say? Yeah. Easy going. Okay. Do you now say right there. Say. Now this is what we do. I picked him. I like it because he's Asian. Because Asians do not know how to handle compliments. 
See, he's all like this already. Oh, my God. So they'll say things like, oh, no, it's just the Lord. It's just the Lord. It's not me. It's just the Lord. Well, that, okay, no. Right. So I need, to have, I need a piece of paper, just a piece of paper. Thank you. All right, so here I got my piece of paper here, and now Uncle Joe is going to give me a compliment. And as you give me this compliment, I want you to, if you would, be kind enough to hand me the paper at the same time. One word that you see of any sort of godliness at all in me. Warm. Warm. And I go, oh, it's just the Lord. Oh, no. And I throw away his compliment. Okay? Now, the problem here is that we shouldn't do that. When people give us a compliment, we need to receive it. Do it again. Say the same word and talk to me again. Same word? Mm-hmm. Can I say a different word? No different word. Same word. Warm. Warm. I go, now watch. This is, this, this is the biblical way that the Hebrews would tell you to do it. You take this and you put it in your pocket. Because... As a Hebrew priest unto God, you have a duty twice a day to bring something to God. So tonight, I'm back in room 114, got my jammies on, drinking another Coke, <laughs> talking to Jesus. And I reach in my pocket and I say, God, it's my sacrifice tonight. It's my sacrifice of who you are in me. And this doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. So I give a sacrifice of praise. And when I do that, two things have occurred. He now is more likely to compliment me because I don't act like all goofy. So he's learning to be a giver. I am learning to be a receiver, but then one who gives as well. So when I receive a compliment, when somebody says something nice about you, about your playing, about who you are, or if they just look at you and say, I just think you're the cat's meow or whatever, say thanks and realize that they wouldn't say that about you if you didn't carry this teacher Torah in you. And the more Torah you carry, the more likely you are to get compliments like that. Now people say, well, you're taking God's glory. No. Says he won't give his glory to another. No, I'm not another. I'm his body. So he allows me to experience the joy of people seeing the seed of God, the anointing of God. That's what anointing is, is when the seed of God is showing in you. There it is. So everything we said about him, we saw as the seed of God in him. We're not saying he wears nice clothes or... We saw things of Jesus in him. That was good. Okay? We're concerned about the hair on his chin, but no, we're not. Not at all. No, it's God, too. This is God, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Jacob was smooth and Esau was hairy, I think. Remember about anointing yesterday? Everybody got all goofy when I said it? Am I supposed to say it again so you get goofy again? Look at you, bad Chris. Like, oil upon your feet. Yeah. And I, ha- yeah, and I have never heard that pioneer song. 
Wow, it's a great song. Okay, so the answer for you, who wasn't here, you two ladies? Uh, no, just her. Just her, okay, so get ready. You're Asian, so be careful, okay? Um, it says, you know, people say to me, oh, Terry, you're so anointed, or they'll tell you, oh, you're so anointed, and they're, they're really saying they enjoyed the music because the anointing has nothing to do with music. It has to do with whether or not <clears throat> I am covered in oil, because to be anointed means I'm covered in oil. Well, what is oil? Well, the Hebrew word for oil is sperma, and it means God's seed, and it means that you're covered in God's seed, and it's showing. That's a great thing. That's a great, great thing. Now, this idea of praise or giving to God can be easily demonstrated in Mark. Get your Bible. Where, oh, I don't have mine. That's all right. It's Mark something. It's Mark. I need some Bible. Yeah. I got it. She's bringing it. I'll just look at it real, real quick, and then you can keep it back there, okay? I have it marked funny. Mark, I think it's four. Ah, yeah, I am terrible with the dresses. Bless you. May God kneel before you and give you another little piece of himself. Mark. Remember that one? Barak. Matthew. Come on, Terry. Get it together here. 14. I lied. 14. 14.3. Okay. Mark 14.3. Everybody preaches this. Let me just show it to you from another dynamic, another uh, place here. It says, this is at the Passover, so here's Jesus getting ready to die. And people were kind of uh, trying to kill him. Verse 3. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? They were questioning and comparing her motives. Number five, verse five, sorry. For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money could have been given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother? She's done a good deed for me, for the poor you'll always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of her in memory of her. Okay, let's... Uh, I need, a, I need a boy volunteer, somebody from the class, a man. Mexico, no. Uh, percussion. India. Grab that chair and sit down here, okay? Now, what we have here is, what we have here is the story of Jesus, and in that culture, he's sitting there talking to his male disciples. So he cannot... Be, he cannot be followed by women. Okay? He has to be followed by men. 
So as he sits there, here comes this girl. Now this girl is not allowed to be with the men. In that culture, it was just not allowed. For her to touch him as a rabbi, for her to touch him was considered adultery. And for her to, there's the same story as in another gospel, she let down her hair. For her to do that, that's a sexual act. So she was in a bunch of, uh, bunch of bad water, if you will. The guys were mad at her, really, really mad at her. So she comes in and she's got this jar of perfume and she's sitting there and he just, she just comes over and begins to pour it on his head. <laughs> in a laughing way they went what are you doing you're wasting all that water you're wasting all that perfume and they fussed and they fussed because they decided from the from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that their idea that their idea should be thought of before Jesus and he says whoa guys he says and the, the Bible says this when we read the story it says he says he says to them, leave her alone. But he doesn't say it that way. If you read it in the original language, it has great passion behind it. He says, leave her alone. And so he sits there covered in this. And he begins to explain that this really is a lesson to the guys. He says, this woman didn't come to get an anointing. She came to anoint. That is a worshiper, one who is not always in it just for themselves. So you say, I don't sing very well, sing anyway. I don't play very well, play anyway. Give him what you have. It is, in his eyes, it's huge. My granddaughter sometimes makes me pictures. I see you guys drawing and all. She'll bring me a picture and it's, you know, from a 10-year-old, it's not beautiful. It's just there it is. And it's so precious to me. It's so precious to me. So she comes, and she brings to Jesus this thing called the anointing. She gave the seed of God that was, she was covered in at that moment. She gave it to him. She said, here, I didn't come to get more. I came to give away what I have. That, my sweet chickens, is going low. That is laying down our lives. That is studying. That is all the things, all those little pieces. God says, that's a worshiper through Hebrew eyes. Not just through English eyes, but through Hebrew eyes. So the Bible says that it's an amazing thing because it says, I'll read it again. Stay right there. You're all right. Okay. It says, truly I say this to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the YWAM base, December 2nd, 2014, that which this she has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. 
I know of no one else in the Bible that God speaks that about. So what she did there was not the fact that she came to get an anointing. She came to give. And that's the kind of love that God is changing us into that says, I just give it to you. Whether it turns out right or wrong, I want to go to India, I give it to you. If you want to give me the money, great. If I don't get to go, I'm not mad. I just love you. Thank you, India. <laughs> We're going to call him Puddles now. <laughs> no, you're okay. It's all right. It's just water. It's just water. Okay. Pardon me? I did, it's true, it's true, it's true, I did. Okay, so when you think about I want to come to worship, think of that picture, okay? I'm going to give you a quick testimony and then we're going to be done, okay? 15 minutes, this is my testimony. Grew up Catholic, get saved in 1976, married in 1970, so I get saved after I'm married. Love my husband, love her best friend we were buds we didn't we didn't uh we didn't know jesus at all neither one of us really i was catholic i didn't know got saved he's my best friend and um we'd been married 17 years after that and after we were married 17 years my husband walks in one day and he says well <clears throat> I just have something I'm going to tell you. And I said, okay, what is it? He says, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I don't want to be a husband. And I don't want to be a father. And I'm leaving today. And I was blown away. Just, I mean, it wiped me out. So I end up just so stinking mad at the whole situation because as a Christian, I had learned to pray, fast, read my Bible, all those spiritual disciplines that are good for us, and I figured somehow or other if I did that, that would insulate me against bad things. But it doesn't. So my husband left, and uh, within about six weeks, I couldn't make my mortgage payment. I had no money. I was working at the church for $500 a month. Uh, that's not much money. It's about what I make now, actually. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I was so angry because I'd had a really bad experience with men all my life. My husband, my husband was kind of the next straw in it. He was, um, I loved him and I trusted him. I took a chance, if you will. But my dad had been very abusive to me, hit me around a lot. And my mother made me kind of her husband in a way. I, she would dump on me. It was a real bad, sick mess. Anyway, so when my husband left, I began to uh, say, well, you know, maybe if I pray more. I just need to pray more. So I started praying. Well, no change. He moved in with three women, not one, three. Now, now that I'm healed, I can say it took three to replace me, you know. But he moved, he moved in there with these guys, and I'm praying for him, and I'm believing that prayer works, and la, la, la. And he's, um, he's not making any moves. So I said, well, maybe if I fast. So I fasted. I lost 30 pounds. I was cute but he didn't come back. And then I had a lot of people come to me with lots of words and saying, the Lord said this, you know, you're going to have a ministry together, la, la, la. 
And I, you know, I believed it. And I felt like the Lord told me that too, and I believed it. And then that didn't happen. And so one night, I'm sitting at my piano. And as I'm sitting at my piano, oops, heard that feedback. As I'm sitting at my piano, I'm doing kind of like what David does, what you guys kind of learned about singing, uh, you know, singing the scriptures or whatever. But one of the best things you can do with God is just talk to him and just sing. And so I was playing my piano, and I'd moved into a teeny little apartment. And this little teeny apartment, there was no room for a piano, so I shoved a keyboard into my closet, literally. So when I'd sit down the uh, the Shirts and the blouses are hanging right here, and I have to go like this to play. And I would sit in there and just cry. And, and I'd say, why, God, why, why did this happen? Why? I followed you. I trusted you. I felt you spoke to me. What's the deal, Lord? Very real. Didn't get thou and thee. I just said it. Please bring my husband back. I love him. I love him so I miss him I don't want to be a single mom Lord please please what can I do what can I do how can I make this work oh God I want you to give me give me my husband give me him back and in the midst of this thing one night the Lord said let me ask you Terry what would happen to our relationship if your husband never comes back? I said, wow, I never even considered that possibility. I thought you're a God that answers prayer, and he says, I'm answering it right now. What will you do if your husband never comes back? If he never comes back, I will still give you praise. If you never raise that girl from the dead from the other day, I'll still give you praise. I'm still your girl. And I felt something being birthed in my life. And that birth was the word Yehuda. It's a Hebrew word, Yehuda. And Yehuda means one who will praise no matter what. It's the Hebrew word for Judah. Now, as it turns out, God still calls this people Judah. Those who will give him a compliment whether or not things are going good or bad. Learn to be a giver, not just a taker. So I say this because that's still the tribe that God is looking for. We are priests and kings in the tribe of Judah. And interestingly enough, the Bible says that Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He's the one that learned that and knew it and walked in it. He halakhed it out. He walked it out in his life. So circumstances don't affect it. I just love Jesus, whether he talks to me or not. I just love him. Whether I, you know, get what I want from him or not, I just love him. And you are also of the tribe of Judah. And that's part of the reason I'm here, is because you're looking at worship through Hebrew eyes. Amen? So um, let's just sing a little bit of that song I taught you yesterday. We're going to bless the Lord. It says, Baruch Hashem Adonai Baruch Hashem Adonai I bless you. Jesus was Hebrew-eyed. Lord, give us enough money, if possible, to buy that Bible so that we can study and learn of you. Lord, give us enough time to do that. Lord, give us enough problems in our life to keep leaning into you. And Lord, give us enough joy to follow you no matter what. We want to be those who bring you our anointing. We want to be those who give back to you. For the sake of your kingdom, Lord, we ask it. Amen. Amen. I think it's time to go to lunch.
What time is the theory class? 1.30. Is that the theory class? 1.30 is my class. students.
I'm playing. Tell me what number I'm playing. What number is this, think? What number is this? What number is this? What number is this? What number is this? number is this? We're going to sing a major chord. We're going to sing one, three, and five. Everybody sing that. Ready? Go. One, three, five. Excellent. Sing this for me. Listening means don't sing. One, three, one, flat three. Sing flat three. Flat three. Sing one. Flat three. Flat three. Flat three. Flat three. Flat three. That's ear training. Again, it's a little bit, bit of a commercial for my school, which I love deeply. I've been there for 10 years. 
and back, so we're going to go over it together, you and I. So if you have these little notes in front of you, it's very helpful. Thank you, Julie. Are you welcome? to your vocal quality, I was seeing whether or not you could determine with your ear what pitch to sing. That was very good. Now that you've heard that, tell me, is this a major chord or a minor chord? What kind of a chord is this? Very good. What kind of a chord is this? What kind of a chord is this? Very nice. What kind of a chord is this? That's great. That's great. Okay. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Can I erase this now? Because I need to. All right. When we talk about your voice, your voice is your instrument. The science shows us that no other, no other instrument other than the human voice has more healing power in it. Not only is it healing for you, but it's healing for those that you work with. Okay. The, the latest research shows, and some people think it's crazy, but I don't. Uh, the latest research shows that. When we sing, we can, if we can find the pitch of cancer and we can sing over it in a holy way, we can cure cancer. I believe that. So it behooves us then as students, as worship people, we're listening to the music of God, as well as the study side, because worship is study time. Are you doing that right now? We are. Now you're looking at the musical side, the song worship, the theological side. So when we talk about your vocal folds, how many people in here have ever had a sunburn? Anybody? in a way that's useful for healing. I don't want to hurt my voice. I don't want to sing in such a way that would damage me. I want to be able to sing for the rest of my life until something new comes in. So what can you do when we're talking about when you sing this? Can you help me out? Because we're just, we're all busy thinking about it. Okay. And so what I want you to do is I want you to understand that we have a fabulous vocalist 
up here. The apparatus, the breathing apparatus. Does this feel nice? Yeah. Okay. Keep it open now. I want you to put your hand on that area you just explored. Lay down flat and feel. I don't want to explore the back just right now. on your belly, three, four, breathe in, breathe in, there, feel that belly move, three, four, five, let it out, and again, last time, one, two, breathe in, Shine. Sit down. Sit back down. We're not done.